Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. My name is Ben Nowak. I'm on the leadership team here at Hills Baptist Church and it's my absolute pleasure to be able to uh, share the Word of God with you this morning. This is a This message is not part of a sermon series. This is one of those free kick sermons. So in other words, Craig says, Ben, can you preach what on anything you feel God is putting on your heart? So this this message really has been one that's sort of been in incubation for quite a long time. Sort of something on my heart that I think over the last few years has been stirring. And I hope and I pray that today that I can give it some proper expression in terms of what I actually really feel God is saying, not only to us as a local congregation, but to Hills Baptist Church, and even far more broadly to that, what I think God is actually saying to the church in this season and and in this time. I was about 10 years old when I had my first real sailing experience, and my uncle had a boat, and he invited me, and I had an older cousin who was a few years older, to go on a trip from Port Adelaide, essentially here in Adelaide, and then to sail out to Kangaroo Island. Now, just from memory, we we got up early that morning, we went down into the boat and then sailed all day. So you'd probably arrive, you know, at Kangaroo Island late in the afternoon. And the plan was to get to Kangaroo Island and then moor somewhere on the land and camp on the land. However, as we were approaching Kangaroo Island, the, the weather was kicking up a little bit, there was waves, there was wind, and for all those sailors out there, you know that the middle of the ocean is not the dangerous bit, it's the rough edges around, bits around the edge that are the real problem in the ocean. And what happened was, we, the decision was made, it was too risky to actually go in and to land, to land that night, and so we actually put an anchor down, and then decided to sleep and slept on the boat. And I was very young and I'd actually been, you know, seasick, had pro- my seasickness had progressed throughout the afternoon. So I actually slept relatively well. We sort of slept on the, if you, if you can imagine a boat with like a, a cabin, but then sort of two open seats open. And my cousin and I, I slept on one, so this hard wooden bench sort of there with, I think I had like a duffel coat and like a sleeping bag, but I was probably so sick that I didn't really care, you know, that sort of state of being. And slept out there overnight, and then the next morning there was a whole there was a series of dramas of, of things that happened. One was um, there was a bigger wave that came, so you know the war, the, war, the sort of, I guess you would call it a storm. It wasn't a storm as bad as storms can be, but nonetheless the weather was bad. A a, a wave came, lifted the boat, and actually broke the anchor. It wasn't a storm as bad as storms And it gets better. So my uncle quickly kicked into action and it had a, a, a diesel engine. And so he, he, he turned on the engine, got that going and then started to heading away from the rough bits, heading away from land. And then another, another wave came through and broke the rudder. <laughs> so all of a sudden we're in this position where Mayday... Mayday, all of a sudden has a very, very special meaning, very special meaning. So the Mayday call went out on the radio and at this stage I was basically out of it. I was so sick I didn't care. Um, (laughs) Um, But then what happened was essentially the Mayday call went out, people were quick to respond and there was a much bigger ship, one of the, it may have even been one of the ferries at the time that came around, threw out a rope 
um, hooked it to my uncle's boat and then actually drew us into, I don't know, uh, a, a little place called Christmas Cove. And I think reflecting over the past few years, um, there've been a storm, you know, there've been a storm. There's been a lot of uncertainty. We don't know sometimes what's happening week to week. We don't understand sometimes decisions that are being made the way that they're being made. You might question decisions that are being made or you might think everything or every decision that's being made is perfectly good in, in the circumstances. But in any event, we're living in, we've had a pretty stormy last two or three years in Australia and throughout most of the Western world and throughout most of the world. Now, on reflecting about this, I find it really interesting how people respond to this, how we respond to storms. Because there's a part of me that says if you read history, uh, you don't have to be that, you don't have to have a prophetic word from God to say trouble will come to civilization, to humanity, and even a very brief perusal of history would suggest that things could get worse. I don't need to have a prophetic word for that, but even now, you know, you, you read in the news or you see on the news that, you know, Russia building up troops on the border of the Ukraine and agitating. I saw a headline, I think even last night, you know, the beginning of World War Three. And you think, well, how do we, as people of God, weather storms? How have we weathered the last three years? And are we all just, are we just hanging out for, you know, the peak of the, the, the current wave of COVID in South Australia? To, this is the peak, let's celebrate the peak and then everything's okay? Do, what, what are you waiting for? You know, will everything be okay in six months, three months? I don't know. In fact, it might actually get worse. I don't know. It might. It might get better. But storms come and storms go. And history would teach us that. Now, just to sort of, for those of you, if you lose interest in what I'm saying, there's a picture up on the screen. I like this picture. This is, um, this is by Rembrandt, and I think in about uh, 1633. So a Dutch painter. But I love this painting. It's a good painting and it tells an incredible lot. And uh, if you have a look at that, just have a look at what everyone's doing. You see there's an incredible storm going on. Yep. Yep, sorry. Yeah. Okay, because the microphone's there. Oh, okay. Okay. Got you. Got it. Got it. Cool. Got it. Got it. Yep. All right. I will project my voice uh, and I will face you. So you see here this wonderful painting. Pictures do tell a thousand words. And here you see that the ship is breaking apart. You see everyone's doing something. You can count there is 12 disciples there. You see light, sort of obviously a beautiful play with light on the picture. But it's pretty hard to see. But you can see everyone's doing something different. Everyone's responding differently to this storm. There's some people that are sort of holding the sails, others that are sort of grabbing one of the cables because one's broken and snapped and failed. You can see there, there's, I think there's about two disciples that are there saying, you know, Jesus, don't you care if we die? Um, and then you can also see, I thought this was quite funny when I was looking at this last night. You see a guy there in the red. Now, he's at the front of the picture, and I'll leave it to you what he's actually doing. Either he's looking for the anchor or he's doing something else. <laughs> so... I'll leave that to you. I don't know what the, uh, the Dutch painter was thinking when he was painting that guy in the red, the red. Anyway, now, the key 
thing is that storms not only come in a global scale, but they can also happen at a very personal level. You know, sometimes you might be living in times of peace and prosperity. Everything is fine around you. But if you're having difficulty in your marriage, in a personal relationship with a colleague at work, your life can feel like it's very much a storm. And some of those storms that are at the most personal level that are the most difficult to weather and to handle. Now, I want to jump straight into the the key text of what I want to share with you today. And you'll see why, because you might think, why is he showing pictures of Jesus on the Sea of Nazareth, uh, of Galilee, and then going straight back to Exodus 14? But hopefully it all becomes apparent to you in the fullness of time. So I'm going to turn now to Exodus 14 and reading from chapters 10 to 21. As Pharaoh approached... The Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see, um, the, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, fight for you. Now listen closely to this. Moses says to them, you only need to stand still. And then on to verse 15. Then the, Lord, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. I like that. I think that's very funny. Maybe it's just me. But you hear the man of God, the prophet saying, stand still. All you need to do is be still and watch God's salvation. And then, and then Moses' response is, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. I've got a plan. There's a way through this. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israelites, uh, Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. There's a time sometimes when you feel like God is leading you. There's other times when you simply need to know that God's got your back. God's got your back. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel, throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. 
Now, just a little bit of context for this chapter. It's actually really fascinating when you actually look at just went, what went before this in terms of probably the days that went before this. So as you'd, most of you would be aware, if you've grown up in the church, you know the Bible stories. There was The Egyptians were enslaved in Egypt for a few hundred years and then Moses came as their deliverer. deliverer. And after a big confrontation with the super, superpower of the day, Pharaoh eventually relinquished and said, go, you know, free the slaves, you can go. But when Moses led them out of Egypt, he didn't take them through the, the easiest path to the promised land. He actually took them through quite a difficult route. And if you look at other records, it's sort of over mountainous territory, partly because they knew they couldn't face the Philistines, but also because they didn't want to be followed. But then what, where they ended up, God led them to, was this spot where you'd think, why, why, why? Because God led them to a place where on one side on their left, remember that this is a group of people of over one million people living on daily um, carefully measured rations of unleavened bread that they had actually baked just before they had left on this journey. They had no certainty as to where they were going in terms of the next supply of food and water. It was a day-by-day reliance on the living God. And God took them, this, took them to this place where they were encompassed on every side. On the left, there was impassable rocky crags, rocky mountains that they could not go through. On the right, there was mountainous rocky hills that they could not pass through. In front of them was the Dead Sea that they could not pass through, the, the sea that they could not pass through. And behind them, all of a sudden, they have this army of close to a quarter of a million people of the superpower of the day with their toughest soldiers, the whole army, out intent to either slaughter them or bring them back. And God led them to that place. And it was perfectly in the middle, centred on God's will for their life to be in that place. I want to read from you very hopefully briefly from the book of Josephus. Who's heard of Josephus? Put up your hand. Hi, if you've heard of Josephus. Who's read Josephus? Put up your hand. Well, there's a few. That's good. Josephus, very quickly, he was a a Jewish general who lived about 70 AD. He was captured by the Romans and he must have been quite a smart cookie because he ended up doing a lot of writing, primarily for a Roman audience, and wrote histories on the Jews right back from creation all the way up to about 70 AD. It's quite fascinating. But in reading that, I want to read you something from that because this does actually, I think, shed some light on what was happening at that point. So, and this picks you up at the point where they're, the point of tension. The point of tension, there's nowhere to go, left or right, front or back. But when Moses was come to the seashore, he took his rod and made supplication to God and called upon him to be their helper and assistant, and said, Thou art not ignorant, O Lord, that it is beyond human strength and human contrivance to avoid the difficulties we are now under. But I must but it must but it must be thy work altogether to procure deliverance to this army, which has left Egypt at thy appointment. We despair of any other assistance or contrivance and have recourse only to that hope we have in thee. And if there be any method that can promise us an escape, by thy providence we look up to thee for it. 
and let it come quickly. And manifest thy power to us. And do thou rise, raise up this people unto good courage and hope. Good courage and hope. Of deliverance who are deeply sunk into disconsolate state of mind. Who's been in a disconsolate state of mind? I think there's a bit of that going around. We are in a helpless place, but still it is a place that thou possessest. Still the sea is thine. The mountains also that enclose us are thine. So that these mountains will open up themselves if thou commandest them, and the sea also, if thou commandest it, will become dry land. Nay, we might escape by a flight through the air. Is faith, isn't it? Moses saw options in this prayer. It wasn't just the Red Sea. If thou shouldn't determine, we should have that way of salvation. When Moses had thus addressed himself to God, he smote the sea with his rod, which parted asunder at the stroke, and receiving those waters unto itself, left the ground dry as a road in a place of flight for the Hebrews. Now when Moses saw this appearance of God, and that the sea went out of its own place and left dry land, he went first into it and bid the Hebrews to follow him along that divine road. God creates a divine road out of your trouble. And to rejoice at the danger of their enemies that followed them were in and gave thanks to God for this so surprising a deliverance which appeared from him. And I'll skip forward a little bit. But the Egyptians were not aware that they went into a road made for the Hebrews and not for others. That this road was made for the deliverance of those in danger, but not for those that were in earnest to make use of it for the others' destruction. As soon, therefore, as ever the whole Egyptian army was within it, the sea flowed to its own place and came down with a torrent raised by storms of wind and encompassed the Egyptians. Showers of rain also came down from the sky and dreadful thunders and lightning with flashes of fire. Thunderbolts also were darted upon them, nor was there anything which used to be sent by God upon men as indications of his wrath, which did not happen at this time. For a dark and dismal night oppressed them. I love that. And I think we might have visions of the passing through the Red Sea that it was just almost the weather was fine. The weather was not fine that night. And whether you're an Egyptian or an Israelite, you would have seen that storm and you would have experienced the hell of that storm. And God's salvation was not just through fine weather. God's salvation was in the storm. In the covering of that storm, God's presence went before them to lead them to that point where it seemed absolutely impossible. At the right time, God shifted his presence and he had their back and he led them through. It's good. So good. All right, so where to from here? Psalm 77 says this. 
from verse 16 to 20. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses. And so it is with us. Like we are the church of God. If you're following Jesus, you've put your faith in him, you are the church. And I've said it before when I've preached and I'll say it again now. The word church is really made up of two words, the ek and the kaleo. And the reason I say this, the ek means out from and to. It's where we get the word exit, out of, exit. So always think about this with the church. There's part of the exiting body, but it's more than that. There's a call. The kaleo is you're called. You're not just called out, but you're called to. And each and every single one of us as followers of Jesus aren't just called out of the world, but we're called to the greater purposes of God. And we're going to always live with that, and it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. So how do we posture and position ourselves in the storms to be in that place where God wants? Um, over Christmas, we would have heard the verses from Isaiah 9, verse 6, which, 6, which say, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The word there for peace is shalom, which is not just, not just sort of the absence from anxiety or fear, but it's far more than that, that God wants to actually bless you, that Jesus, our Jesus, is the Prince of Peace. In John 14, verse 27, it says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so in preparing this message and thinking about this as it's been incubating in me over a long time, my heart is that we would be a people that don't live in fear, but that we are postured in peace, postured in peace. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, Paul wrote to Timothy at the beginning of the letter saying, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now I find this fascinating because Paul didn't simply say, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of courage. In other words, God's answer is not simply, you know, um, you know buck up, stiff up a lip, soldier on, man. But God's response to fear is power, love, and a soundness of mind. And this is one of these key verses. So if you're living in fear, and if that's the thing that's dominating your spirit and your heart, know that it is not of God. It's not part of your inheritance. It's not part of your uh, identity in Christ. And it's not something that you need to hold on to. The word power, which is interesting that Paul puts this first instead of love, I think word order does matter. So he puts power first. The word for power here is dunamis. You've probably heard this before. It's the word where we get the word dynamite, and it really is power. Power, the inherent power 
residing in a thing by virtue of its nature or which a person or thing exerts and puts forth. Specifically, it's the power to perform miracles. It also can be referring to the moral power and excellence of soul or the power and influence which belongs to riches, financial ability or wealth. It can also mean the power and the resources arising from numbers and the power consisting in or resting upon armies, forces or hosts. This word power, it's not a soft word. Paul, in his first appeal, in his response to fear, is to say, remember who you are. You're a people who have been called by almighty God. It's not just a... um, You know, we don't just assent to Christianity as a mental thing to say, which I believe. But when you believed in Jesus, you inherited a power like the world has never seen before. That the spirit of the living Christ who defeated the sins of the world, defeated death and all the powers of the devil now lives in you. And we would do well to remember that. The second thing is he refers to love. And this is good. As we know in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, but it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, interestingly, um, well, this is at a very personal level, this is a thing that I found very helpful. Whatever is going on, if you're facing a storm in a personal decision at work, whatever it is, love. As we learn in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, almost anything minus love equals nothing, you know, but all the gifts, the callings and everything else that God's placed on your life, plus love, he puts you into the the black you're good and this is a a real key thing to actually see us through the storms now out of interest the word that Paul uses here for fear is actually only used once in the whole New Testament whereas the word for power the dunamos is used 120 times and the word for agape is used 116 times and I thought that's interesting so I think there's a thing Whatever that fear, when it ever might even niggle or tempt our own hearts to know, well, let's come back with a 200-fold response of God's power and God's love in response to that fear, in whatever shape it uh, might bear upon us. And let's not forget the last thing. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. And this refers to self-control, self-discipline, and prudence. And I think in these times in particular, there is a great call in the church for self-control, self-discipline, and prudence. So very quickly, let's dig a little bit deeper. What does this mean? And I want to bring it down to three pillars, if you like, of application that we can use to, to weather the storms, but not only weather the storms that we're in, but to prepare ourselves for storms that may come. The first one is a a call to prayer. We all know that prayer is important and it's critical to our walk and our relationship with God. And but before I do that, I just want to have a look at this photo here or this this 
um, painting. So this painting here, you'll see here, this is, this is the real one. This was actually a present to me from my grandmother when I was probably about 13 years old. And at the time it was a Christmas present and as a 13 or 14 year old boy, I thought, Grandma, that is the present I've always wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really. I actually thought it was pretty lame at the time. But it's funny, it survived. And I've, I've kept it in my possession and I um, had it in, have it in my study now. And even when I, was, when I came back to the Lord, um, my later, or well, my teenage years, I actually had that hanging up right next to my desk for years and years and I could see that. But I think this is a profound... To me, this almost tells the story in a word or in a picture how we should be postured in storms. Number one, God gives the will to you. Sometimes people are just like drifting through the storm saying, well, God, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll just be led by you. I'll wait until it passes. But there's something that God actually wants you to take some responsibility. But look where you're taking directions from, you know. So don't take your hands off. Be strong. Be courageous. Take hold of the power of God. Take hold of the love of God. Know where you're going. There's a fixation in that young man's eyes in his direction of where he's looking. But you can see his eyes align with where Jesus is pointing. His eyes align with where Jesus is pointing. He's not bothered. He's not afraid. He's not fearful. Even though you can see the storm breaking out around him. So three things. A call to prayer. To pray every day. This is not meant to be a legalistic thing. But this is as serious Christians wanting to grow in our serious faith, things that we can actually do to make a difference. And I'll just I'll, I'll, I'll run through them um, and we'll go that way. So pray every day. Set time aside to do that in a disciplined way. If you're married and your spouse is a Christian, pray together and pray for each other. If you're not married... Reach out to others and pray for them and pray with others regularly. Make that a core part of your Christian faith. Pray continually. Build a discipline into your life where your thoughts, when you're not actually setting aside that time for God, that you're always thinking about God and bringing things before God. Read a book on one of the saints or from one of the saints about prayer that wasn't published in the last 10, 20, 30 years. Try for one maybe a few hundred years old and read that. People have been doing faith for about 2,000 years and don't think it all just started happening in the last 20 by popular authors. I think I'd really encourage you to do that. Grab a book, one of the old saints, and you'll be, your socks will be blowing off. Um, in terms of your prayer, explore new ways of praying. If you're a quiet prayer, maybe pacing and shouting out loud and declaring the goodness of God is something that you need to do. If you're, if you're you know, an active, enthusiastic pacer, yeller prayer, Maybe going to a place of contemplation and meditating upon God's word is a good place for you. The idea is to take our prayer life seriously as something that can be growing, we can be growing into and not to think that we've arrived. A call to read our Bibles. If you haven't done it before, or even if you have done it before, read the Bible from cover to cover. Get a sense of the whole narrative of how God is outlining the history of the world from the Genesis 1.1 to the last chapter and verse of Revelation. Get a sense of the whole thing and don't just take it in little nibbles, little bites where you don't actually get a sense of the whole story of what God's saying. Go deeper into a book. Learn how to use a Bible app. 
There's a daily audio Bible is a good thing. Lauren uses that regularly and they, they'll take you through the whole Bible in one year. And if you miss some, don't worry about it. Just pick it up again. But the idea is to get the Word of God in your heart and let that transform you from the inside, inside out. And last of all, a call to be together. And we, Craig's talked about this a little bit. Like We are living in difficult times and I totally understand if people are in situations where they need to isolate. I totally get that. But at the same time, let's not use it for an excuse to not be together when we can be together. And I think in the storm, my sense is now is a time more than ever that we need to connect with each other as the church and not isolate ourselves. In Hebrews 10 verse 24, it says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Romans 12 verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in love, honour one another above yourself. There's so many ways that we can serve and connect with the church. Coming to church regularly every Sunday, if you've been a person who in the past has come once a month, make it your a decision, a deliberate decision this year, 2022, to say, I'll be at church every week. And don't just do it out of a, you know, an obligation, but do it out of your devotion to God. If you haven't been part of a life group, get involved with one or meet with some other believers and actually pray with them and talk with them about your faith. And there's always opportunities to serve in the church. There is so many things. And like we're really not looking just to fill a roster. What we want and what our heart is as a church is to release people into their God-given calling and ministry and that there's an enthusiasm and a passion for serving in the house of God, a real passion in doing that. So I'd encourage you to do that. So for 2022, let our faith rise up. Let us be a church in unity to be a people of deep, intimate and connected prayer, carrying the presence of God. Let us be a church that raises up leaders, raises up a people who release the work of Jesus into the world. Let us be a people who love the Word of God deeply, who rejoice in the Word, who know it deeply and meditate on it continuously. Let us be a church where marriages are restored, where marriages are made strong and who live and love one another. Let us see the church grow in numbers, yes, but not only in numbers, but in maturity and depth of faith and love. My heart and our heart as a church is to see salvation, that we don't just become a club of the in and the others are out, but we become a church where every week we see people coming to Jesus for the very, very first time. Our neighbours, our friends, our family, people that we never thought would come back to Jesus to come back to Jesus. Let's pray for a return of children to the Lord, those that have adult children that may have drifted away or whose faith is gone cold over the passage of time. Let's pray that 2022 would be a year of the restoration and the return of children to God and that this year we would have stories to tell. Let's pray deeply for our government. Let's not just be ones that throw stones. They do have a hard job to do and they it's a hard job. But let's pray as we're encouraged to do, as we're commanded to do in Romans 13. Pray deeply for them, intercede deeply for them, that God gives them wisdom 
and that they govern with wisdom and righteousness. And let us pray that as a church that we use this time wisely, that we don't use the storm as a time to sort of check out, but it's a time to actually check in. And knowing that storms will come and storms will go, worse storms may come, but I pray that we as a church would be postured to weather the storm. I'll ask the musicians to come up. And um, in closing, I just want to share with you Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 8. And Isaiah was a, probably one of the greatest prophets the world has ever seen in terms of the, the scope of his ministry, both over nations and over time. You know, we quote him almost every Christmas. But there's a famous verse in Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 8. And this was written at a time when King Uzziah had, Uzziah had just died. And this really, I was reading a commentary and it's the, the when, in terms of he saw this vision when King Uzziah, Uzziah died, explains the why. That Isaiah had just entered into a point where he could see there was a change. That a stable king for about 50 years, a new king was about to come on. There was the clouds of trouble in all the nations around them. And Isaiah was in the temple seeking God, as we should do in times of trouble. And he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This is Jesus. Isaiah is seeing Jesus. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King. The Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And through Jesus' shedding of the blood on the cross, we can say the same with Isaiah. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. Then I heard a voice of the Lord. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. And if you remember nothing else from this message, I pray that you'd remember those words and that those words would rest and live in your heart as your prayer to God. Whatever may happen, storms may come, storms may go, but they would always be positioned and postured with a heart. Here I am. Send me. Let's pray. Let's stand. Let's stand. So, as we close in worship, I just want to invite you to, in your own way, pray the prayer of Isaiah, here I am, send me. 
might be putting out your hands, hand on your heart, whatever it is. But I just want to invite you to enter into a time of prayer, of doing business with God right now, um, that I step aside and I'm, I'm out of this. It's between you and God now. God's calling you. There's so much to do. And my prayer is that as we go into storms, that you'd know the power of God, that you'd know the love of God, that you'd know the soundness of mind and that your faith would be lifted, that all fear would be gone and that we'd be a people, Lord Jesus, who rest in you, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.